Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. With me is Chase Wilsey. Good morning, Chase. How are you doing? Hey, good morning. Doing well. Well, good, good. We got a lot to talk about. It's kind of funny before the show, we're talking about different things, talking about Roku, talking about uh, 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 Bed Bath and Beyond, and different things. Almost like, gosh, it'd be kind of cool to let listeners hear what we talk about prior to the show, but we'll just do it during the show, <laughs> I guess is what we'll do. But uh, let's start off talking about uh, Apple products because uh, in, in the past, we have posted about where will Apple find the next uh, area of growth for their business. Uh, one area of growth for them could be the $452 billion mobile ad market, which could grow to $680 billion in 2026. And they also may take advantage of trying to get into the online advertising market, which is about $600 billion. And there are many different ways that Apple may end up putting advertising on your phone and, and through your apps that you have. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle this over the next few years and how consumers accept more advertising on their phone. And, and especially with a company like Apple, I know a lot of times people appreciate Apple for like the privacy and you know they had some big problems with, uh, well not they, but Facebook had the big right. problems with Apple because of the way they changed their privacy laws. So is it gonna be a little bit hypocritical, let's say, to say, <laughs> oh, no, 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 Facebook, yeah, you, you gotta be careful, but no, 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 we're Apple, we don't have to do that. That's something I wanna keep an eye on. And one thing that kinda irritates me a little bit, it's like I'm paying, Verizon for the use of the phone. I paid Apple for the phone. Now you're going to clog my phone up with with advertisements? I don't think that's right because I'm already paying two people for for the service. Why do I have to go around your? And I don't know how they were going to do it. I mean, we're just talking about things that they could do because we have yeah. talked about them running out of products or, or to, for to get that growth. Um, this is one thing that they're considering. I don't see how it would be a positive thing. Yeah, I I don't either. I. I Especially when I have my phone, I, I feel like that's my area. My, yeah, my phone. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and if I'm browsing the web, I, I don't have an issue with ads. But right. can you imagine that? I'm not saying they're going to do this. You unlock your phone, ad. Yeah. You're like what? Oh, you can pay five dollars a month so you don't have to have ads <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> You're like, oh, this sucks. But I, I mean, I don't know what direction they're taking. As, as you said, these are just very, very speculative ideas that we have here. <laughs> it, it's just a, another potential area of growth Apple can look at. And people know we don't like Apple stock. Right. It's a great company. I mean, they, they have done a great job in the phone market. It, it's so funny now, too. I hate when people don't have Apple phones because they, they have the, the group messages and you can like add people to group messages. But if somebody else doesn't have an Apple phone, it's a pain in the butt. They're out of the it's group. Like, Who made the group green? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, I mean, Apple is a great company. It's just, it's as we always say, it's too expensive. Too expensive. And we talk about areas for potential growth. This is why companies that trade at high multiples always concern me because you start to reach for growth. And if you start to reach for growth in, let's say, the advertising market, it could hurt your base. And all of a sudden they say, 
I don't really want the Apple phone anymore. And then you actually start to lose growth in areas that are important to your business. And, and one thing, again, we do like Apple, the company, just think the stock is too expensive. But one thing I'm thinking about, we saw this with General Motors uh, this past week, where they're going to do a big buyback before they get hit with a 1% tax uh, January 1 of 2023. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and I'm hoping somebody calls in about Apple, because I, I thought their debt was rising quite a bit, but they still have a lot of cash on the balance sheet. So I'm wondering, will they announce, okay, between now and December, we'll buy back, I don't know, $20 billion of stock could boost a stock, which would not be a good, well, a buyback will 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 reduce the number of shareholders so to help the earnings per share, but still, it, it, I think it'll be an artificial thing, still not fixing the problem of the high price of the stock. One that concerns me with these companies doing these big buybacks now, and especially ones that trade at lofty valuations, because if you're trading at a lower valuation, you can buy back more stock and increase the EPS at a higher rate, uh, EPS and earnings per share. But if you're trading again at around 30 times earnings, you buy back a bunch of stock, you're not buying back as much stock. And it might be a higher dollar right. amount, but on a percentage basis, it's not helping earnings per share as much as a company that's, say, trading at around 10, 12 times earnings. But then the issue becomes okay, you front load it. You've created all this demand for your stock. Again, they're going and buying yeah. the stock. So that's yeah. going to push the stock price higher, all else equal. What happens next year when you used all your buybacks this year? Who's going to be buying the stock? Yeah. There's yeah. going to be less demand out there for the stock. You, you could see some issues for stock prices then. So it, it's something that, that I do worry about is that artificial bump you may see in some companies as we, we finish out 2022. It's kind of like uh, what I have with Bed Bath & Beyond, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but the other thing, too, on Apple that worries me is I believe they started taking on debt five to seven years ago. So I'm curious when that debt starts coming due. Um, because that's another thing. Should they be buying back stock or paying down debt? And again, if you're an owner of this company, you need to have the answers to these questions. We're just asking these questions. We don't own Apple in the portfolio, but if I owned it, we would be looking at, you know, well, when does this tech come due? What are they, what are they doing here? So you really need to do a deep dive into it, I think. Great company, but uh, you don't want to come in that for the next five to 10 years goes from, we'll say 140 to 180, back and forth, back and forth, never goes beyond that. Yeah, then just last thought I kind of have on Apple, too, is, you know, I was listening to a gentleman on Fox Business the other day talking about uh, how there's the the Apple 14, I think, is what we're on Mm -hmm. now, is coming out, and it's going to be super exciting, and there's a big potential cycle for it, because now several iPhones are two to three years old. But I've talked about this before. How old is your phone? I still got the iPhone 8, (laughs) and I'll hold it until it crashes and burns. (laughs) But the thing is... I still don't see that big of a difference between, let's say, like the X or the 11 and, and the 14. I haven't seen anything too big of an advancement. Yeah. So there's people out there looking for a big growth cycle. And I've talked about this as well. Is all of a sudden you're looking for that growth cycle, and that growth cycle doesn't happen. Let's say sales on the iPhone are, are relatively flat. That's when, again, the stock could have problems. So I, I believe that's next month, actually, that they have the release of the 14. Yeah, it's only a few weeks away because this is uh, what uh, we'll call late August here. Um, and uh, I think it's mid-September that comes out. So I think it's less than a month. And I do remember, I forget which one it was, but there was over the time of Apple, there's been times they come out with the, oh, we got the, the new cycle and it was a failure. And I think the stock dropped 30, maybe 40% because it wasn't what they expected. And people, I think now they are kind of eh, pulling back a little bit. Like, you know what? My iPhone, I'm not going to say eight. My iPhone, is there 11 or 12? 11, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, that's fine. I, I don't need a new one. And, and again, I, I don't even know what one I have, but um, it, it, it's just, it's there's nothing major that, wow, this this can take a better picture. Eh, I can wait. <laughs> People can send me the pictures on my phone. <laughs> this is actually better for me, so I don't have to take the photos. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great, it's a great, great product. But I just don't see how they're going to improve upon it that much. And when people think about, yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll save a, a few bucks here and wait till maybe next year to get the phone. So we'll, we'll see on that. So again, you always want to be careful of these high flying stocks, as we call them, because they're growth companies and they move the wrong direction because of something, yeah, you, you could be hurt there. Let's talk about home buying because the affordable index of homes in the U.S. has fallen to 98.3, which is the worst since June 1989. Uh, with rising mortgage rates and the sale of price of homes not dropping yet, home buyers just cannot afford to buy a home. If you're already in a home, you do have the appreciation to use a down payment on a new home, but if you're trying to get into your first dream home, that is getting further and further away for the first time home buyers. And not only are the payments harder to qualify for, but the 20% down payment on a home is also much harder to achieve. If you look at a $400,000 home, the 20% down payment would only be $80,000 versus a home of $600,000 that would require a down payment of $120,000. That's a 50% increase. That's, that's a lot of money. That's $40,000. Yeah. That's, you know, after tax a lot <laughs> some people's, you know, take home pay essentially. Yeah. The other thing too is, is is preventing homeowners from moving up to another level if they cannot sell their existing home to first time home buyers. And, and one thing we, we use the nationwide average of 400,000 people saying, well, who can afford a house, you know, $400,000 house in San Diego? We, we, we do things nationwide, we look at a lot of things. So if you take those numbers and you put it to 600 or even 800,000, it will increase dramatically on what that is. 800,000 and a million dollars is what you need here in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, and uh, Frank just passed me a message that the uh, iPhone 14 comes out September 7th. So, yeah, that's what, about three weeks away? Yeah, a few weeks away there. Thanks for doing that, Frank. Yeah, and I was going to say, too, the the other interesting thing about the homes is we we looked at some of the existing home sales that came out, and those have really started to struggle as well, that they are actually at the lowest level, if you exclude COVID, because that was such a weird time period, since November 2015. So the demand <laughs> side is starting to slow down, but the problem is supply still remains extremely constrained. Right. And if you look at it, there's just 1.31 million homes on the market, existing homes, at the end of July. That was 3.3 months worth of supply. Right. But generally, a healthy market is about five to six months. And the other crazy thing, too, is you look at the first-time home buyer, they only made up 29% of the market. Right. Generally, it's around 40%. <clears throat> Yeah. So it, the affordability is a big issue and you can't just have these home prices keep going up and mortgage rates, I don't think are going to go back down substantially. So one of those has to give to allow that affordability to rise to, again, allow people to get into the market and buy homes. I, I had a good uh, conversation on, on uh, social media with our good friend Robert Behek, uh about home prices because he, he is right. He's saying that for this year, home prices will be up. And I said, yeah, for the entire year, they will be. But I said, what about 2023 is what's kind of worrying me. Because I think we will have positive numbers for the entire year of 2022. I don't think there's much growth from here to the end of the year. But, you know, just based on what we're talking about here. But when you look back at 2022, it'll be a positive year. I'm not going to throw out a number, but it will be positive. High single digits, <coughs> low double digits, I think, if you look at the full year. Yeah, full year. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, so things are, are, are definitely changing. You're seeing the signs on the wall. And I think it was uh, Fitch. 
who, who does ratings and so forth, yeah. they're seeing real estate, again, we're talking nationwide, uh, drop 15%. Well, and the other interesting thing, too, is the cancellations you're starting to see on these homes. Yeah. I mean, those have raised substantially. I mean, if you look at, like, home builders, that is crazy. Right now, 17.6% of builder contracts fell through in the month of July. That compares to about 8% in April and 7.5% July. So you've more than doubled the amount of cancellations on that. And then also, to the existing homes, you're at about 16% of homes that went under contract have actually seen cancellations that compares about 12 and a half percent july 2021 so the high interest rates the high home prices they are having a major impact on the real estate market and again something's got to give to allow for people to buy homes you know it's kind of funny because uh i've begun my home search i'm not going to buy tomorrow uh but when you look at you know you look at a chart on 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 a stock and it's like like this, like a slope, right up, right up, right up to the top of the mountain. And our viewers can't see your hands. Right, but. <laughs> my hands are going up, like, like dramatically up. Well, that's what it is when you look at a house. You look at a house like, and and you know, before the house was two million, now two years later it's four million. <clears throat> it's like that's a huge increase. You you don't want to buy at the top, whether it's a house or a stock or anything. So uh, you've got to have some type of pullback for all these reasons we're talking about affordability, rising interest rates, and, and rates are not gonna go down tomorrow. I mean, they, they may go down tomorrow, but a year from now, they're not gonna be lower. Yeah. We know the Fed has to to reverse on inflation, raise interest rates, so so that's gonna be a difficult time for the market going Oh, uh, absolutely. <clears throat> All right, well, I, I do wanna talk about Generation Z, because uh, these are people who are ages 18 and 24, have been active generation of investors, with half of them investing, and 26% buying stocks. They have really only experienced a decline from COVID and feel stocks always rebound quickly. This year, they are learning a new lesson in a bank rate survey found that 73% of Gen Z traded actively this year compared with Gen Xers who are 42 to 57, just 28% traded. And, and with baby boomers, they only twenty only saw 25% of them trade. I think the problem could be is where Gen Z is getting their information. Half of them learn investing on YouTube and by watching other exciting videos. And one third receive their education on TikTok. Now, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't believe Warren Buffett's on TikTok. <laughs> no, I don't think he is. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in my opinion, those are probably not the best sources. At their age and their experience level, they expect quick rewards as opposed to having long-term patience. And it, it's 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 a concern. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll talk about Bed Bath & Beyond, but I mean, there's an interview I want to talk about yesterday with David Portnoy and, and, and Stuart Varney on, on Fox Business as well, that this is the exact issue we're talking about. And I mean, we'll talk about Bed Bath & Beyond first. I, I mean, this company that, quite frankly, is a terrible company. Yeah. Uh, has skyrocketed for nothing other than meme hype. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they have no earnings. Uh, they have no equity. They have... Uh, they don't pay a dividend any longer. Uh, their sales were down 25% year over year, and the industry was up 61%. I mean, and, and I think you even mentioned that they don't have enough money to buy their holiday inventory. Yeah, that, that's what Fox Business had mentioned. And it's like, wow, that that's a company I want to buy. <laughs> right. And I think at one point they are up like 600, 500, 600% on the month at the peak. Right. But again, it, it's these people that they get into the, the hype frenzy. And, and if you had bought that stock, I believe, Wednesday morning, you're down 60% as of the close yesterday, or about 60% as of yep. the close. It was down around 40% yesterday alone. Right. And the reason for that is not because of business fundamentals. 
but because their guy, yeah. Ryan Cohen, <clears throat> sold out of the company. <laughs> and, and, and it's just like, he made a smart move. And if you're sitting there watching that stock move up, you know, from what, 11, 12 to 30, 34, you're kind of foolish thinking, well, and this happens in investing. Yeah. Well, one to 30, it's probably next stop is gonna be 60. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, no, I think he made a $60 million profit. No, I've done good, I, th- I think I'm gonna sell out. Because this is what true gambling is. This is not investing at all. This is gambling on a stock price. And he threw the dice and he took them off the table. But smaller investors, they got greedy. Yeah, and I think you said he, he made like 30 or $60 million off the- 60 million. Yeah, 60 yeah. And people, oh, that's not fair. I'm sorry. I'm gonna. This is really rude, but right. you're the idiots that gave him the money. <laughs> yeah. And and it was funny. People on the, the messaging board were saying, "Oh well, he's he's an ape. He's like one of us. He's he, no way he's sold." I I'm sorry. He's he's he a did. businessman. I yeah. I think he looked at it and said, "Oh, I'm gonna make money off of this. Yeah, I, I'm out." And he he doesn't care about this whole movement. He and if he does, he he took advantage of the movement and and. And I, I, I really don't feel bad for these people that ha- had these substantial declines. If you bought at the top on Bed Bath and Beyond, and you're down that level. I'm, what were you thinking? You're, as I said, you think it went to thirty. You yeah. think it's going to go to sixty, and and it, he had no advantage over anybody else. No. He just pulled the trigger now because he had so much of it. When he pulled the trigger and, and sold it, it really hurt the stock. Where a small investor, that wouldn't happen. But still, he did not have any advantage over anybody else. He just said, no, I've got a great profit. I'm selling out, which everybody else in that stock had the same thing. And you and I just talked about how the fundamentals of this company, it's not even there. If this makes it to, to January 1, I, I think I'd be surprised. Um, so you're just gambling on this chip and the, the, the whole thing that with the that they're doing. Uh, and I heard somebody also talking on TV that, oh, well, well, this is a good lesson for them. The problem is they learned a lesson that stocks are not good because they didn't know what they were doing. Not that there is a true way to invest and you should be happy earning an eight, 10, maybe a 12% on average return every year versus doubling your money in, in a week. Uh, that's not a good lesson. You gotta learn that to really make money if you're earning 10% on average per year over a 10 year period, wow, that's that's a pretty good return. I could live with that. Yeah, and, and that's the unfortunate case. And I mean, I was talking about David Portnoy, who is the founder of Barstool Sports, and I think he created a great company there. I mean, I you know find their, their videos quite funny. I, I think they, they do a good job, but he's not a, a stock expert, a financial expert, and he was talking on, on the show yesterday about how, oh, yeah, no, all stocks are, are like gambling. And Varney pushed back quite hard yeah. on that and, and said no. And it's like, well, they're doing their research too by going to the Reddit forums. <laughs> that that's not research. No, I mean you have that has nothing to do with what a stock is. A stock again is ownership in a company. And we talked about it yesterday too. Is I mean he's right. Over the next week, month, yes, all stocks. I don't care what you're doing, they're gambling chips in that time frame. Yep. But you expand it out over four, five, six seven years they're not gambling chips if no. you own the right companies the strong businesses will flourish and, and that's what benjamin graham says in short term it's a voting machine it's just going up and down up and down all over yeah. the place long term it's a weighing machine those strong companies will outperform the, the weak ones over five-year periods but the funny thing is over the next month the weakest company could outperform the strongest company yeah yeah and, oh you were wrong and so forth well i i'd rather be wrong on the short term and right on the long term all day long. Yeah. And, and whenever we, we invest in a company, I mean, we're, we're investing generally for three to five years. And 
you know, even when people come in and, and say, well, how, do, how does Wilson Asset Management manage money? We even show them, yeah, we might buy a stock here and it goes down. But we don't worry about that because where will it be, again, three, four, five years down the road? Like, oh, that's up 100%. Oh, glad we did that one. Yeah. But you might buy it at 10. It could go to 8 next week. Like, oh, you're down 20%. Well, that's just the gambling part. We don't care about that. We want to own businesses that have great balance sheets, good earnings, good cash flow. And this is what you should do as your true investor. And this whole Reddit thing is just a, a gambling game that's being played. And it's and it's fun, but it can really hurt you on the downside. And it, it, I think the problem is investors, and I'm not going to call them investors, traders took away the positive side <coughs> of what happened during the meme stocks with, right. with GameStop and AMC and thought, oh, I can get in and get out. Yeah. But I think they forgot about the bad part where it crashed 70%, yeah. 80% yeah. <laughs> after the fact. And now that's what you're witnessing with Bed Bath & Beyond. And the people that, that get burned here, as I said, I mean, it's the small guy that gets stuck holding the bag, but you just did not educate yourself. I mean, one thing that you got to do in life is you have to learn from your mistakes and learn from the mistakes of others. And and clearly with Bed Bath & Beyond, nobody learned from the AMC and GameStop hype. Yeah, yeah. And and, and there'll be others, others unfortunately. And I kind of thought that it was, was gone the meme stocks. You didn't hear about it for a while, and then it came back again with Bed Bath Beyond. Um, but again, I, and the thing too, I think the more the more it's around, the more people get burned, the less that will come back. You know, so it eventually will just be gone. And they were talking the other day as well about the economy and, and right. how there's still a lot of money in the economy, and we've talked about that as well. I, right. I think that's still why people can can gamble a little bit here. Yeah, and say, ah, you know, I, I still got extra cash. Yeah, that that's that's what we're going to start bumping up against is as the Fed again starts to reduce that balance sheet, they start to suck that money out of the, the supply. That's where I think you're going to really start to see these hype stocks again have have big issues. Yeah. Let me go to the phone numbers. Uh, I got so involved in, in the conversation. I didn't give out the phone numbers for that unbiased. No strings attached. Fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. 833 288 Zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Uh, Give us a call. You got a company that you're looking at buying, investing in. We mentioned some different companies. Maybe you hold them. You're not sure. You want more detail on them. That's what we're doing here. So um, I, I I do see, and I don't know. And I, I know one thing too that we yeah. want to mention is when we look at uh, the different talking points that, that we went over today, we do have our smart investing newsletter as well. If you kind of found yep. those conversations interesting, wanted to make sure we, we let our listeners know about uh, the other topics that we did have. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, if you want more detail, what we talked about those three three items, you can see that. You can also see we we did talk about the Reduction Act and the the newsletter, China inventory and sales, more on housing, the emerging market. Uh, also too, I think we did talk about uh, savings rate due to COVID. So many different topics in there. As Chase said, it is a free newsletter. All you need to do is go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. You'll see it right in the middle of the page on the top. It says newsletter right next to the podcast uh, uh, button there. So you'll see on, the, on our website, a lot of great information there you can take a look at. So uh, well, let's go to the phone numbers again, uh, 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Jeff. Jeff, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Yeah, I'd like to get your opinion on RSG. I own it and I'm, I don't know whether to sell it or 
hang on to it longer. Uh, I've done quite well on it. So okay, so so you, you're up on it now. Uh, how how long have you held it there, uh, Jeff? Since June of 2020. Okay, so if it's out of a tax, or if it's in a taxable account, you you've got long term gains. So let's take a look at it. And, and this is in an area that I've always wanted to get into. I just could not find the right price. Uh, the company again is Republic Services, symbol is RSG. They're in the waste management industry, and and that's an industry that it's growing. I mean, we get more and more, you know, trash that, that comes there. Uh, not much float on this company. 0.7 percent, ninety five point three percent institutional owned. Uh, we do see a PE ratio of 33.6 versus 40.1. That's my problem. They've always been expensive, never getting that buying opportunity. Uh, price of sales are high for the company, 3.8 versus 2.0. Price to book value, 5 versus 3.7. Price of cash flow, also expensive, 16.2 versus 14.8. They do have a good peg ratio, and your peg ratio is your price earnings divided by growth, 2.9 versus 10, so it means you're not paying much for the future growth of this company. But these numbers here, the earnings growth over the last year, 24.2%, industry up 38.5. We do see sales are up 16.3, industry up 19.3. The five-year growth estimate from the analyst is 10.6 versus six for the industry. They do pay, eh, I'll call it a decent dividend, 1.4%, use about 42% of the earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet. Uh, current ratio 0. 0.7 versus 1.2. That's that's on my absolute bottom. I, that, that that starts concerns me. Gets that low on liquidity with a debt to equity of 1.3. Same as the industry. I, I would like to see a little more liquidity for the for the company on the balance sheet. They do have a nice net profit margin though. 11.3 versus 4.9. Return equity 15.1 versus 16.6. Jace, what do you got for the company going forward? Yeah, so it is interesting. They are the second largest integrated provider of traditional solid waste services in the U.S. I'm guessing waste management is it's the first one. The yeah. first one. Yeah. Uh, op- they operate roughly 186 active landfills and more than 200 transfer stations. So uh, they're, they're quite large. I wonder where they operate, though, because I know, you know, my trash cans are waste management. I, I wonder. I think I've seen them around here, I but they, they don't have a big presence here in San Diego, I don't think. The other thing that I find interesting <clears throat> with this company is they have high goodwill, about just 50.2 percent on the balance sheet. I was wondering, <laughs> did they buy another like <laughs> landfill? Like what? Like, buy buy more what? landfills yeah. probably, and you're overpaying for them probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I guess hey, it, it, I wonder too though if you depreciate because if you depreciate land, that's going to reduce the 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 equity on the company essentially because you're depreciating that asset. So it, it may still be a, a, a higher price over book value, but it could be a very good generating asset in terms of cash flow. And one thing that worries me on these too is that landfill. Well, eventually that land will be filled. Where, yeah, where, where are they gonna go? I've heard of you know shipping across to islands and stuff. So I mean, it, it is a problem that we have, but the, the, the supply is never gonna stop. We're never not, not gonna have trash and garbage. So that's why it's a great, great industry but I still want to get a good price for it. But I, I, I digress, so go ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> current price here for RSG, well, it's $146.44. Near its 52-week high of $148.26. And the 52-week low, $113.57. And uh, trash is doing well this year, year-to-date, up 5.7% for the company, while the index is still down about 10.6%. Good-sized business, though, $46 billion company in terms of its market cap. If I got to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share here of $5.35. 
that would give us a target sell price of $88.81. So it's it's expensive. And the thing that I find interesting is, again, this growth rate on this company. Yeah. I mean, their earnings this year estimated to grow 14%. Next year, about 12%. So it's, it's still growing very, very nicely. It's just... It's expensive. Yeah, and, and Jeff, and that's why you probably feel the need, like, hey, should I sell this? I, I, I've got to say, you got to sell this company. Again, we talk about the, the growth going forward. We're not going to stop having trash and garbage and so forth, but it's so expensive. And, I, I, you know, we have a discipline, and we stick to that discipline. That's how we've done well over so many years. This You may sell the stock at one, what is that, 146? You know, a month from now, it could be at 150, 154. But what you want to do is, is sell this company, and try to find another company that's trading at, you know, 10, 12 times earnings. This is probably trading at what, 20, 21 times earnings. Yeah, okay. it, uh, yeah. let's see, uh, 27 <clears throat> times 20, future earnings. 27, wow, that's that's pretty high. Yeah. So, and again, I love the industry, I love the concept. I just don't like to overpay for anything uh, and, and even hold things at overpriced because it, it does come back eventually to, to burn you. So, already? Yeah. Okay, thanks for the information. Okay, Jeff, thanks for calling. Have a good okay, one. Okay, bye. <clears throat> Bye-bye. All right, <clears throat> that is over the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's head out to San Diego and speak with Fred. Fred, you're on the Smart Best Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, thanks for being there. Uh, yeah, yeah, hey, I got a question for you. Um, I already, I'll be honest with you, if I was... Uh, if I hadn't had a financial advisement firm based in near Philadelphia where I grew up, I, I definitely go with you guys. Who knows? Maybe if I hit the lottery, I will. <laughs> we'll be <laughs> here. <laughs> or if they retire yeah, or yeah, something, really, hey, we're here. <laughs> no, I, hey, really appreciate what, what you do. I've been listening to you for several years now. Uh, that being said, I, uh, I'm in escrow on my little condominium down in Carmel Valley, which I uh, purchased two years ago. I accepted a job up in L.A. County, so I'm moving up there, and I, I plan to rent for a year to two years. I'm going to net out of the sale of this condominium about 150000 and uh, I'm probably going to buy in one to two years, depending on where I'm going to be in one to two years. I'm not really sure yet. Uh, when I spoke with my financial advisor, I, I said I was thinking I want to take at least half of this money, which I'm going to apply for the next purchase of my home and uh, maybe use it for a short-term investment in either CDs, short-term bonds, or gold. She steered me away from gold. She steered me in the direction of bonds and or CDs. Wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, I mean, one thing, and, and you said half the money and you're moving to LA. I don't know, isn't the price of housing in LA pretty expensive? Yeah, you know, believe it or not, um, the price of housing where I'm going to be able to live is actually a little bit lower. I would wow. uh, just a little bit lower, believe it or not, in the areas where, where I, I'm looking, which is like Studio City, uh, Tarzana, uh, a couple other areas that are like, uh, you know, like uh, Hawthorne, Inglewood. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, with that said, what, what I'd recommend is, is that, uh, you know, that there's a lot of online banks like uh, Singular Financial, who, is who I, I, I put my liquid money with them. I think I'm getting like 1.6%. The nice thing about that, I think over CDs, is that I believe rates will continue to rise. So right now, I said I'm getting about 1.6%. Uh, the next year, maybe get 1.8%. Maybe it might rise to 2%. 
the thing is that it's always liquid for you because you'd hate to have it in a CD and you do it once a year and then you get this great opportunity in 18 months from now, like, oh shoot, now I gotta pay a penalty to get out of that. Um, I don't see rates declining, so I think you're safe putting it in the, the security financials of the world. Uh, they are federally insured to, uh, what, $250,000. Uh, that'd be my recommendation. Yeah, and you said one to two years there, Fred? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. that, that's where it's tough. I, I was actually talking to a gentleman the other day, and he said, I, I'm going to need the money in two years. And right now I look at the, the two-year treasury, and you're getting, what, two point, I think it's like two point. Yeah, actually, it's in the threes, I believe. Is it? I, I, yeah, because it was yeah. A, the yield curve was still inverted, so right. it, it might be around three percent. So, you, if you were at two years for sure, I would say do a two-year treasury because it's a higher interest rate than the one point six percent you get on the the bank. But then the problem is you have the interest rate risk. So if you did pull mm -hmm. it out in a year, like ah, it's not worth the risk. But that's kind of one thing. The other thing that we look at that we've used in the past is it's called the floating rate fund where that gives you a little bit higher income, but that's going to also be quite similar to like a high-yield savings account. So, unfortunately, there's not many great options for, right. for short-term money right now, but hey, on you know $75,000, you, you can pick up uh, you know, a couple, you don't want to just put it in you know, one of the big banks and they pay you 0.01%. Right, right. And the senior floating rate fund, I mean, that principal can move a little bit on you, so you want to be careful with that. Yeah. And chase the right, too. If you get, get a 3% on a two-year treasury and you get that great buy, uh, at uh, at uh, 18 months from now, you, you sell out, rates went up to three and a half or four, you can make no interest at all on it. So uh, you, you really got to decide what direction you want to go. And that's why I came up with a synchrony financial uh, for liquid money all the time, because I believe you said one to two years, you just don't want to be locked into something and then, you know, you pay a penalty for it. Yeah, thanks. I didn't catch the name of that company or fund. You said something uh, financial? Synchrony. Financial. Synchrony. 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 Okay, yeah. very good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, 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 they're the company that when you go to Jerome's Furniture or these uh, by refrigerator, also they have care and all these, all these other things, they're the finance company behind the scenes, and then they, they, they loan up money about 12%, 14%, and then they pay you about 1.6%, but it's still a good deal for you. And it's uh, still FDIC insured. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but I, I think that might fit you best on what you're looking for there. Alrighty. Okay. Very good. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Okay, Fred. Thanks for the call. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. You too. All right. That opens the phone line, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Time to talk about financial planning. With that, we'll turn to our financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Well, good, good. I, I saw a segment on KSI this past week where they, they showed that there's more U-Hauls leaving the state than, than coming back. People have a problem. And you're talking about moving out of state and retirement. So so what do you got here today? So um, it seems like most of the people I talk to are considering this. I mean, are they getting ready to retire? Should they leave California uh, for a bunch of different reasons? But um, two things I wanted to talk about would be the tax side of it and the uh, real estate side of it. So first, on the tax side, uh, California, we have the highest uh, marginal tax rate in the nation at 13.3%. But most people fall into the 9.3% tax bracket while they're working, which is pretty high. Um, that 9.3% bracket is, is very large. It goes all the way from 
taxable income of 120,000 all the way up to 625,000. So it's a really large bracket. And a lot of people find themselves in it while they're working because while you're working, your primary income source is going to be wages or self-employment income, which is fully taxable at ordinary income rates. But once you shift into retirement, you might have social security income of 50 to 60 to grand a year between you and a spouse. And all of that income is going to be tax free in California and most other states as well. So although it's income or cash flow to you, it doesn't take up any room in the tax bracket. So um, in retirement, it's much more likely that you can get yourself into a much lower bracket. Um, same thing for like Roth accounts or non-retirement accounts. You can you know, withdraw income from these types of things, but it's not going to take up any room in the bracket. So for many people, the tax situation in California isn't as bad as you might think it will be. And in many cases, if you move to other states, you could actually end up paying more in state taxes because of the way other states' tax system works. Um, the second point is real estate. So real estate is an area that does make a difference. Property values are much higher in California versus um, pretty much everywhere else in the country. So the question that a lot of people have is, should I sell my house that's in California or should I rent that house that's in California after I, after I would move? And so I'll say that I'm not anti-real estate in, in any capacity. I work with a lot of real estate investors. Um, so I do like real estate if it's done correctly, but from a rental property perspective, especially in Southern California, it's more of an equity play as opposed to a cash flow play. And what I mean by that is if you're going to invest in rental property in California, especially Southern California, um, your hope is that that property value is going to go up. And in the meantime, you would use the rent to pay down the mortgage. So your equity is, is growing as the property goes up and you pay that mortgage balance down. It's, usually not much of a cash flow play um in many cases you know you, you might get a little bit of positive cash flow but it, it's usually not going to be that much especially if you have a mortgage and when you go into retirement usually the concern is cash flow because you need cash flow to replace your wages so in many cases it makes more sense to sell a property that's in san diego or in california after moving, um, and then you can use those proceeds to create new income streams or, or buy a new place as opposed to keeping that equity locked up um, in that in that property that you have. And, and Harrison, the other thing I think about too is that in California, they really make it very difficult in landlords. So Chase, you told me a story this past week where uh, somebody wasn't paying this landlord the rent. He went to the house to, I guess, collect the rent. The renter called up cops on they came and arrested the landlord or escorted him escorted, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't get arrested. but he didn't get his, his rent and yeah. he, he's the one not getting his rent and he's the one that please come and like sorry you gotta leave yeah because <clears> of the <throat> the squatting rights and yeah. yeah it's i mean especially if you move out of the state right i would not keep real estate here i mean if it's down the street for me maybe but i mean but again if you want the guy's property I, I, you're I, gonna I, get arrested that's what i'm saying i'm like if you if i if you move out of california i would say absolutely not nah, don't have yeah, a rental here right. and it, it, i wouldn't do one if i you know lived i do live here and i wouldn't do one here yeah, yeah. i mean I, I i personally thought about doing ones in arizona and other states but just doing one in california it's just you could get totally screwed yeah, and I don't want that. And, and Harrison, you're right too. I, I don't know what state somebody would move to, but you know, if they love real estate, they maybe sell the property here in California and buy it and 
Arizona. If they're going to Arizona, so I mean, if you love rentals, do it do it that way because then you're, you're, you're at least close to it. I, I I would, although I do know we have clients that have real estate in Texas and North Dakota, I think, and all all over the country. I, I just with the real estate, I want to be close to it so I can go by and see it, make sure you know things are going well with it. Yeah, if you have a good property manager, I think it makes yeah, it. They cost money. That hurts your return. Yeah, but if you still look at the cash flow and it's still good. Yeah. Well, that, that that's one more expense that <laughs> you have to deal with. Hey, we, hey, we Harrison, always, who we side you on here? We always Harrison, talk net side? returns. <laughs> Go ahead, Harrison. So, yeah, back to the point. <laughs> I'm usually in favor of selling it if it's in California uh, because in addition to all, of, all the problems you guys just mentioned, you know, problems with um, dealing with tenants and uh, extra costs and things like that, that stuff does add up and <laughs> – Again, real estate can be a great investment. I think there's other places where it's better, but usually when people are, are looking at leaving California, it's mainly driven by because of financial reason. And I think in most cases, it makes sense to then sell that property. Then you have all of those proceeds and you can use them to invest in other properties or buy a house for yourself or just invest it and, you know, create income from it. So that's, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it, but um, yeah, I think in most cases it, it makes sense. And Harrison, I assume in the state of California, <clears throat> if that rental is profitable, since that money was earned in California, you have to pay California state tax. Would that be correct? If it, if you do have positive um, income, it is still taxable in California, correct? Now, wow. usually because of the depreciation that you can claim, in addition to uh, property taxes, insurance, uh, management fees, all those things, usually you can do it in a way that it it won't generate any. Um, taxable profit, but yes, you are correct. If there is profit, it is taxable in the state, regardless of um, where you end up moving to. But if you have high income and you leave California because of the high income tax amount you have, you may not be able to enjoy that depreciation because your income's too high. So, I mean, there's just so many factors. Well, that, yeah. 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 I mean, it, it depends because if you, if you move to another state like Arizona, for example, and then you have uh, distributions from IRAs, well, that income would be taxable in Arizona, not California. Just the only reason that that, that property income would be taxable in California because that's where the property is located. But you're right; it it does get it does get complicated. And um, you know, back to the point, I think there are other places where rental properties make more sense than um, in California. So. And this is the whole reason why you want a good financial planner because there's so many different venue so many different streets you can go down to, to find what to do and i was going to say before we let you go to harrison when you were talking about that 9.3 percent of 120,000, i thought that was for a single person i always forget how bad we get treated here in the state of california that's for a married couple if you make over 61,000 yeah. as a single person you're yeah. in the 9.3 oh, percent wow. tax bracket and even eight yeah, percent it's well, forty-eight thousand. and then if you're a married couple what is that 96 you pulled up that chart didn't yeah you? I, I just i was like is that 120 Wow. <laughs> and I believe the governor wants to raise it. Yeah. No, just on the rich people. Just on the rich people. But rich is what, 120 or above? <laughs> no, I, I think they wanted to add another tax bracket to the upper end. Upper end. Yeah. The upper, upper end. Okay. Well, Harrison, I know, I know it's Saturday. We're going to let you go. Um, thanks for the good information. Uh, and again, this is why you need a financial planner. So many different things to look at to make good decisions. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. See you Monday. Bye-bye. All right. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson. He is our financial planner. He is a CFP. He is on a salary. He doesn't sell any product. Uh, he is strictly a fee-based planner. Uh, if you want to have a conversation with Harrison, call the office at 
858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. That is smartinvesting2000.com. And Chase, I do want to make an announcement as well that uh, we are moving our offices today. Because I just think if somebody calls him, I believe you send the phone tree, it, it is just numbers now. So you can't actually, you don't know who you're talking to. Uh, leave a message. You yeah, yeah, yeah. You still, you still call and still the phone tree. So you press, let's say, you press six for Harrison. You're gonna get a voicemail that says one oh six is not available currently. Okay, so so they, it's still Harrison. They still get that way. It's just there's there's yeah. So you still leave a voicemail, but we haven't set okay. up our voicemail boxes Box yet. <laughs> okay, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. I mean, moving's a lot, and it's just like uh, we'll hopefully be finishing that today. All right, phone numbers here eight three three. Two eight eight zero nine seven three, eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Chase, we got to talk about it. The Reduction Act. There's a lot. The Inflation to, Reduction Act. Well, <laughs> the Inflation Reduction. Okay. Uh, there's a lot to the <clears throat> Inflation Reduction Act that I don't like, but I think the thing that bothers me most is the name of the bill. Why don't we just call it what it is? It's predominantly a climate bill. It has very little to do with inflation. I will say one of the benefits in the bill is that Medicare will be able to negotiate drug prices. Far too often, I believe the government just has to pay top dollar for products and services, which makes little sense to me. The downside are plentiful, but some of the main areas of concern include how we'll be paying for this bill. Yeah, the first we talked about this briefly at the beginning of the show, but it's that 1% tax on stock buybacks. This creates value for shareholders and shareholders already pay capital gains tax when money is made after selling an investment. This is essentially a penalty for companies rewarding shareholders and it will be interesting to see how this impacts buyback behavior. The 15% alternative minimum tax, that's the other point that they're raising to raise funds is far too complicated for the average person to understand and I'll continue to monitor how this will ultimately impact businesses and their investment decisions. Most of the investments, as I mentioned, go to climate policy with $369 billion out of the $437 billion in investments going towards energy security and climate change. Very, very broad. This includes a bunch of fluff, including something as silly as $27 billion for a national <laughs> climate bank, don't know what that is, and a $3 billion cost for so-called climate justice. Now, I don't know what that is. Right. I, I'm sure it's going to be some silly thing. Somehow it'd be penalized for something they're doing down the road on something, but it's just, uh, and I don't know how many pages this bill was, but it was not, and, and, and many have come out and say, this is not going to help inflation at all. No. And I have heard some on, you know, some people saying, well, what's going to happen is that because oil is so high and energy is so high, if they invest into clean energy like solar panels and EVs, down the road they'll have less inflation. Well, how, how long down the road? Because there, yeah. I believe there's like a seventeen billion dollar tax on oil. There's a six billion dollar tax on natural gas. Yeah. So yeah, let's raise taxes on the areas that are already hurting people and raising the cost of everything else. I, I mean, I think this could hurt inflation. Right. It, and and yeah. the thing that is interesting too, I know we got callers here, but is the fact that people just act like companies aren't going to change their buyback behavior. As we already talked about, companies are looking at accelerating buybacks this year to avoid the tax. So, well, you're not going to get those funds. The alternative minimum tax, if you look at accelerated depreciation, if they get rid of that, 
Well, what happens then is companies may delay investing in projects, say, okay, well, if I take accelerated depreciation this year on this project, and if I did another project and took accelerated depreciation, that's going to push me down to 12%. I'm going to have to pay a 15% minimum. I'll just hold off on this project till next year. There's going to change the way businesses plan their investments. And I've often said, I wish more people in Congress and the Senate had more business degrees, more understanding of business, because they think they're being smart doing this. But you have CEOs and many times graduates, uh, MBAs from Harvard and, and Princeton and Yale. I mean, these guys will find a way around it. And unfortunately, the people in, in the Senate and Congress, they don't understand business very well. And it's not even the CEOs. You have oh, teams, teams of yeah. people that have had these extensive research of right. accounting and they can find loopholes and it, it, they're on average <laughs> going to be way smarter than the politicians <laughs> yeah. which is true and i hate to say it so i, I just wish that the politicians would requirement you want to be in office you got to have a degree in economics or finance or something so you at least have some understanding of the concepts of what's going on all right enough said about that uh let's go up to uh let's see we're going to go out to san diego and speak with anthony Anthony, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, guys. Uh, another great segment today. Um, just Thanks. a shout-out real quickly to uh, Harrison. Um, I happen to be about to draw on my retirement, so I just loved hearing his take on, um, you know, what to expect in terms of, uh, you know, retirement income uh, as well as, um, you know, holding on to real estate. So I'm, I'm going to knock on wood, which means I'm jinxing, jinxing myself, <laughs> but I do have a rental property. Well, what you should do is not knock on wood, but knock on his door for a conversation <laughs> with him directly. <laughs> uh, no, I'm one of the lucky, uh, you know, I had existing property. I did better in the pandemic. I refinanced uh, both my, my home and my rental home and um, so my, my expenses went down, my positive cash flow on the rental went up. Um, Good. it's, uh, and, and a ton of equity in it just with, with the bump up. But, uh, um, Hey guys, the reason I'm calling, uh, I'm, I have a little bit of uh, cash that I was thinking of, um, in putting into one of two stocks, um, LDOS and, um, QLYS. And they're both in a sense of cybersecurity. One's a little bit more into, um, defense, right, with the things that have been going on in, uh, with Russia and their continuing uh, attacks on our system, um, as well as, you know, on the private side, uh, people that, that uh, get, you know, kind of hijacked that way or their systems. Okay. Well, well let me tell you, because Lidos came up first. I've got some people behind you, so I'm going to try to get at least uh, another person behind you here. Yes. So let, let's talk about Lidos Holdings, or symbols LDOS. They are on the Information Technology Services, only 0.9% float. Uh, 82% institutional ownership, uh, not a bad PE ratio here at all. 20, that's half the industry at 42.6. So that's a great start. Yeah. Price to sales, one versus two. Price to book value, 3.5 versus 3.6. Price to cash flow, 15.9 versus 16.9. And a good pay, pay ratio, 2.4 versus 5.8. So the valuation ratio is looking pretty darn good here. Uh, as far as the growth goes, uh, earnings per share were only up 0.4% over the last year. Uh, that pales in comparison to the industry up 19.7. Um, sales for Litos are up 6.1, about half the industry at 12.4. Uh, they do pay a dividend of 1.4%, only use 27% of their uh, earnings to pay that out. Looking at the uh, balance sheet here, Current ratio 0.9 versus 1.5, that's okay. Debt to equity is on the high side, 1.5 
versus 0.9. So that's, I, I don't like to see much above one, two, one, three. Could be some reasons for it, but again, you're well above the industry, so I'm not happy to see that. Net profit margin, 5.2 versus five, and return equity, 18.1 versus 19. So, so far, I'm not too happy. I like the valuation ratios, but we seem to be missing something. It's up to you, Chase. What do you think? Yeah, well, it is an interesting company because I know they do the airport scanners, too. So oh, I mean, they do? Yeah, I, I believe that's the case. I, I Googled it. There's the Lidos uh, airport scanner. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the same company. You know, and we went, uh, we came back from Fiji, went through L.A., and the airport scanners were not working very good at all. Not uh -oh. just for us, but for about 10 other people. I, I'm just saying that maybe there's some issues. <laughs> hey, or maybe it's good because they got to replace them. <laughs> so well, they, well, there you go. That's the other side of the coin. <laughs> well, uh, you're pushing me to QLYF. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's take a look here, too, at the, the numbers going forward. And the current price to start off with Lidos, again, Tigger Simrel. LDOS is $102.58. See, 52-week high here, $111.12. And the 52-week low, well, that's $81.07. They have been a benefactor this year, and it could be perhaps because of the Russia-Ukraine tensions and uh, increase in defense potentially spending as the year-to-day return up 16.2%, as we know that the market has struggled overall. But if we go forward to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $7.07. It would give us a target sell price of $117.36. So that is above the current level, $102.58. But it doesn't really give us a nice margin of safety. Most of the time, we like about a 30% differential between the sell price and the current price before we step in and buy. So it would be placed in what we call our hold category. Yeah, I see they, they have reported earnings already, so that's out already. So you'd either want to pull back on the stock or for the, those numbers to be increased, but you'd have quite a bit. So not a time to buy at this time. Uh, just kind of watch it and see what you got. Uh, maybe next week, call back on the other company because I do want to try to get the uh, last gentleman in for the for the show here. Oh, yeah, you got it. No okay. problem. Thanks for calling in, Anthony. Hey, another great show. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's go out to Lakewood and speak with Johnny. Johnny, you're in the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Uh, looking at LKQ, they took over uh, Pick Your Part. Pick Your Part. Uh, I've never heard of Pick Your Part. What is that? Have you ever heard of that, Chase? No. no. What, what is Pick Your Part? It's an uh, auto dismantler, and they uh, not only uh, sell the uh, parts at the junkyard, but then they uh, get the scrap metal value later on. Ooh, I like that. That's another business I like. It's it's one that you know the junkyard and stuff like that, where it's 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 you know good value there. So I'm hoping this works out pretty good. Company is uh, LKQ. That's the same as their symbol LKQ. They are in the auto parts industry. Only two percent uh, short uh, here on the company. Hundred percent institutional ownership. So that that, that usually kind of messes up with a short on there and so forth. But um, we'll move on from there. We do see a P.E. ratio of 13.4 versus 22.4. That's a positive. Price of sales, not a positive. 1.2 versus 0.6. Price of book value, 24.4 versus 8.8. That is price of tangible book value. Price of cash flow, 13.8 versus 13.1. A very good peg ratio, though. 0 0.4 versus 13. So the valuation ratios were not that great but what you're paying for the earnings going forward does look pretty good. Uh, we do see the last year earnings were up 34.6%. This is while the industry was down 30.3. Sales did climb by 4.5%. Industry was down 0.7. They do pay, a, I'll call it a decent dividend of 1.8% and only use 18% of the earnings to pay that out. 
We do see a current ratio of 1.7 versus 2.6. I'm okay with that. Debt to equity 0.7 versus 0.6. That is okay as well. Uh, we do see a net profit margin of 9.2, about three times the industry at 3%. And return on equity, 21.7. That's very good. We like uh, equity above, or return on equity above 15%. Industry is only 6.7. So, Chase, what do you got going forward? There's a current price here for LKQ, $56.07. 52-week high will at $60.43. And 52-week low is $42.36. Uh, Year-to-date down about 5%. So, we've seen a little bit of pullback on the stock, but nothing too crazy. Now we go to December 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.27. Would give us a target sell price of $70.88. Uh, it's about 26% away from its its current price. Uh, again, we like that 30%. So I, I, I'd keep my eye on it. I wouldn't be a buyer necessarily yet at this level, but it doesn't take a whole lot in terms of a pullback to give us that 30% margin of safety. And as you said, I like the business, the, the fundamentals overall in terms of the balance sheet and what the company does, obviously, Sounds pretty good. Yeah, and it gets to fall to 54, 55, there's your buy. Uh, but again, a lot more research on this one here yep. because there's some things that, again, the valuation ratios I was not excited about. Um, I, I would do a lot more research on it. I like the concept again. I, I like, you know, the junkyards and stuff like that because usually the profit margins are pretty good, which I think on this one it was. But do some more research there, Johnny, and uh, it could be a good one at the right price around maybe we'll call it 54, 55 maybe. All righty. All right. Thank you for your time, sir. All right, Johnny. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. I was going to say that it opens the phone line, but we only got about two minutes left here of the show. Uh, I think we got through all the callers. I, I like doing that. I always feel guilty leaving people at the end. Not that you shouldn't call at the end because we'll try to get you in all the time, but it's just I, I like to go through and have the conversation with the people uh, and really try to get their questions answered. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to squeeze in those last two callers there at the end. And, uh, you know, it's important to us. I know what you're talking about because at the end of some shows, it's like we have like three people that all called in at the end. And you're like, oh, yeah. Anyway. And they never call back in the next week. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and we always say call back in next week if you if you, if you miss us there. And, and also, too, if you do miss a show, it is podcast. You can actually see that, see that uh, on our website. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, at smartinvesting2000.com, you'll see the podcast. Click on that. You can listen by Spotify, Pandora, uh, many, many different ways to listen to the, the show. Uh, if you missed the show, missed part of it, want to rehear something, like, what did they say on that? I know sometimes you and I are both uh, uh, accused of talking sometimes too quickly. We get too excited about this. I mean, this is so, you know, it's so funny. I've been doing this show for over 30 years. I was last night, I was thinking, like, I can't wait to get up tomorrow morning and go do the radio show. I mean, after 30 years, I still love doing it. I was excited too, but I was tired. So, yeah, because you had a football, well, and you're back to the football games. Uh, how'd Poway High do last night? Hey, yeah, JV won 20 to nothing. Uh, so, I was pretty happy with that as a defense coordinator and a nice goose egg. And then, uh, Varsity won, I think it was 31 to 19 was the final score. And very, very good opponent in Granite Hill. So, wow. Um, you know, we're really excited about this year and the, the team that we have on at both levels and programs doing well at Poway High. Oh, cool. And, and actually, last uh, week, uh, I was at the uh, car show for the Corvette Club, uh, benefiting the San Diego Blind. Uh, that went very well. Uh, gave it a trophy for a gentleman. Actually, he's a listener. Uh, he has a 2012 Boss 302. Uh, and I said that should appreciate the most over the next 10 years. All right. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used on investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 
888-546-4306. And visit our website. A lot of great information there, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information along investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. Two things that I did on.